It's good to see y'all here this morning, and uh, we're going to be in Joshua, as you probably figured that out. Um, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 5. You want to make your way there. We've been focusing on going with God in our time in Joshua for chapters 3 through 5, and, and understand what that means, and going with God, and knowing that we are going, we're following, we are where God wants us to be in life, and all of this, as we've been seeing from chapter 3 through this morning, calls for a preparation on our part. It begins by following God's lead. And then we see in Scripture, in following God's lead, it calls for us to consecrate or devote ourselves to God, it is to commit, surrender, submit everything that we are to God. It, that is fulfilling the great commandment that Jesus laid before us, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. That's part of our devotion, our committing. And then this is an obedience uh, to God and what He speaks over our life. And last week, if you weren't here, uh, we walked through the memorial stones. And as we go with God, God sets up these times in our life that he's revealed himself, that he has shown himself faithful, he's shown himself good, that have been pivotal moments in our life. And uh, kind of gave you a homework assignment. I'm not going to ask if you did it or not, because I'm, I'm not going to grade it. It's for your benefit, not mine. I've already done my memorial stones. But just to think back and take the time to remember, okay, this is when God did that, and this is what that meant to me, and this is how that helps me continuing to go with God and to follow his lead. This morning we're going to be in chapter 5 and we're going to be picking up in this act of preparation and combined with this celebration as we continue to go with God into His promise so we can experience His provision. Kind of set up the context, we're finally across the Jordan River. We're finally into the promised land with Joshua and the Israelites here in chapter 5. So chapter 5 begins this new stage in Israel's life as, as all of the talking of being led into the land flowing with milk and honey has finally come to fruition. But before the Israelites can obey the, the promise and the command of God to drive out the inhabitants of the land they have, and receive the land as a gift from God, there are a few more preparations to be made. And so we're going to begin in verse 1. We're going to be reading through verse 12 this morning. Again, we're in the Old Testament book of Joshua chapter 5. And we're going to see before Israel could deal with the physical walls of Jericho, there was a spiritual wall that was holding them back. And that is kind of the application we're going to be looking at for our own lives today. Is there a spiritual wall holding us back from the promise and the provision of God that He has laid before us? So let's read the, read the Word of God and we'll walk through this. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west... And all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan. For the people of Israel, until they had crossed over, their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. And at that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war who die, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt, though all the people who had come out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked forty years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished. 
because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. And the Lord swore to them that He would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 7, So it was their children whom He raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And when the circumcising of the whole nation had finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgah to this day. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgah, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho and the day after the Passover. On that very day they ate the produce of the land and leavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you that you are the God of preparation. You are the God that has been preparing us all week long for this moment to have an encounter with you as we gather in your name with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, that we would hear from you, not from me, but hear from your word, and that your spirit would speak to us, driving us into truth opening our eyes to see truth. Lord, I have no doubt that we all have things that we're struggling with, things that are keeping us from fully uh, experiencing your presence and your promise and your provisions in our life. And Lord, though this may be difficult, Father, I ask that you remove our reproach before you, that we may be in the land that you want us to be in, that we may take of the fruit that you want us to take of, so, Father, guide and lead our steps. Be our shepherd through this passage. Open our ears to hear your truth. Nothing from my mouth, nothing from my heart or mind, Lord, but from you. Father, we desire for you to do a great mighty work in us that only you can do. I ask you to forgive me where I have failed you. Forgive me those times where I have fallen into temptation. Lord, let this be a time where we've come into your presence. And that you open the way for us to hear from you. Lord, you are good. We thank you for the plans you have for us. We thank you for this time we can gather once again. And I thank you for what you're going to do in our hearts, in our lives, in our families in the next couple of minutes through the power of your word and your spirit within us. I pray for those here this morning, Lord, who may not know you as our Lord and Savior. I pray, Lord, that they would have that revelation, that this would be the day of their salvation. Father, you would just grant them that mercy to be able to understand what that means. Please be with the workers back in Children's Church. Let your hand be upon them as well as they lead our kids into your word. And Lord, we give you all the glory. I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in our life. And that you alone would be praised and glorified. And praise all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We say it, amen. Verse 1 begins by opening up the situation, which is, it doesn't seem like it may be that important, but we're told that the news of the Jordan River and the Israelites had crossing into it that it had reached the inhabitants of the land. The language should sound familiar. It's pretty similar to the testimony that Rahab gave to the spies where their hearts melted. There's no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. The melting of hearts here in chapter 5 and dealing with Rahab's testimony to the spies is to speak of that the courage, the hope, the fight, the strength of the people in the land had began to dwindle away. And up to this point, it, no matter what was left, it seems that the crossing of the Jordan River had completely obliterated any hope that the people of the land had of Israel coming and taking possession of it. 
We aren't told how they heard of it. The Bible doesn't elaborate on that. Perhaps they had spies or people watching them and seeing what was happening. I imagine it was an incredible spectacle to see as the river was parted and the people walked through. But what we see is God not only set up a memorial stone with the Jordan River in chapter five or in chapter four, but here in chapter five, God sets up a protection stone for the next series of events that take place. In verses two through nine, the Lord delivers a command to Joshua that he is to go and to circumcise all of the adult males. And this may seem like a strange command to do, and it would be without understanding of the spiritual and the covenantal implications. See, after crossing the river, the news we were given concerning the people of Israel and that the people's hearts were melting because of Israel, it would appear that the momentum would need to be taken advantage of. The people in the land were ripe for defeat. If you read that and you hear that they're no longer having any courage in them, but before a physical step can take place into the promised land, before a battle can be waged, the Lord delivers His command for Joshua to reinstitute the act of circumcision. The reason is given in verse 4 there and runs through the remainder of verse 7. But with verse 2, it seems like there's a little contradiction. It says to do it for a second time. Why a second time? Well, the meaning is tied to the reason. As the act of circumcision on the other side of the Jordan is the second time the Lord had issued this command in the covenant that he gave to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 17. The scripture implies here in our verses that the circumcision did not take place during the wandering, meaning this new generation that God raised up to take the promised land, they physically represented Israel, but they spiritually did not. And so this had to be dealt with. It had to be dealt with before another step could be taken into the land that God was gifting to His people based upon the promise or the covenant that He had made. It was a covenant to Abraham that would fall down to Abraham's descendant. Again, the Israelites were physical descendants, but the spiritual covenant was established through the act of circumcision. It seems like a strange time to immobilize your fighting men, though. I mean, we've got to think about the context. The river, we're told, is at high water. It's the time of spring. So as the Israelites get through, the river comes back together. It overflows its banks. And so now Joshua and all his fighting men and all the women and all the children are now trapped between this high river and the fighting armies in front of them, and especially the walls of Jericho. They're trapped. And just as the act of crossing the Jordan River required faith, so this act of obeying the commandment of God required faith on the part of Israel. They had to trust that God would provide a protective protection for them as they healed. Some scholars estimate that for an adult male to go through the act of circumcision, it would take up to three weeks of bed rest before they could be moving again. That doesn't seem to be what happens here. Some sort of miraculous healing takes place, but Scripture does let us know that the men had to have a time of healing. Luckily, the first battle they faced isn't going to be much of a battle, but just a time of walking. The first step, though, here with the circumcision is a step of transition for Israel. They are now moving from nomads and wanderers to people of promise and the people of conquest. It was an act of a physical representation of God cutting the ways of years of slavery in Egypt and the years of disobedience and wandering in the wilderness. This is what verse 9 is telling us. Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. The reproach is to speak of the disobedience of the past generations. 
And then it leads to verse 10. And while the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgah, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel. But they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. See, if we're unfamiliar with the way God set this up, in order for the Israelites to take part in the Passover celebration, they had to be circumcised. Matter of fact, anybody, any male coming in to join the Israelites had to go through this circumcision rite. And so while the past generation that died off may have been able to keep the Passover celebration during the wanderings, this current generation could not. And I can't imagine as the males did a cross and now they, they're trapped and their leader Joshua comes to them and tells them what they have to do. I can't imagine that was much of a celebration party. They had nowhere to go. They couldn't get back across the river. They couldn't move forward without the Lord's presence and blessing and presence. And so to go with God and to be where God was leading them, they had to fully submit to God's terms. And sometimes in life, that's exactly where God has to put us. He has to put us in this place where we know if we go backwards, it won't end well. And if we go forward without Him, it won't end well. And so we're trapped in this place between a high river and a wall where the only thing we can do is submit and surrender. And just like this act of circumcision, it can be very painful. It can, be, it can be hard to understand. It doesn't seem like it's the right time or the most opportune time. But as painful as it's going to be, to surrender to God is what God commands us to do. The Bible says that they will know that we love Him by obeying His commandments. And notice it was God's intervention upon Israel which provided their healing. The final main event happens there in verse 12, and that the manna ceased. For 40 years, Israel had relied upon the provision of God every single morning, except on the Sabbath, where God would provide them manna from heaven. They would go out and collect it. But now in their obedience, there are going to be people fully living off the promise of God. Verses 1 through 12 of chapter 5 signify a transition from wilderness living to promise living. And in going with God, this is exactly what God has called us here to, to unfold this morning. We must transition from wilderness living. What is wilderness living? Well, the Bible defines wilderness living in the Old Testament as a time of disobedience to God and a time of wandering. Wilderness living is the same to us. It is a time of disobedience to God's Word, sinful living, and just wandering around instead of following God's lead. And though God remained with Israel and His presence remained visible to Israel, Israel was never where they were supposed to be while living in the wilderness. Wilderness living is dry. It's hard. It's the exact opposite of what God promised. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Wilderness living does not provide us rest, nor does it lighten our burdens. Wilderness living for our life is representative of sinful living. And whether we're aware of it or not, when we are living outside of God's promise, outside of God's command, we are living in the wilderness and it is drying up our soul. That's not what God wants for you. Jesus told the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. 
The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Wilderness living in the Old Testament had the presence of God over it, but it never led to the promises of God because wilderness living chooses sin over holiness and sinful living over godly living. And God calls all of us to live holy and godly lives. If you're living in the wilderness right now, if you know you're doing something that God has told you not to do and spoken over you not to do, no matter how painful it is, here's what you need to understand. That wilderness living will never give you joy. You will never find fulfillment because you will always be wrestling with that and wandering around spiritually. But God comes to us this morning as our shepherd, the good shepherd, to speak over our lives to call us out of the wilderness. The transition for Israel here in chapter 5 from wilderness living can only come through obedience. As God's people, we have to transition from wilderness living to promised living. And promised living is this. It's living in the promises of God's word, which only comes by obedience to God's word. For Israel to step in the promise of God, they had to obey the command of God to be circumcised. And only when they were obedient to the command were they ready to celebrate and enjoy the promise of God through the Passover and the provision of God through the fruit of the land. This required obedience. It required surrender, which then allowed God to roll away the reproach. Again, verse 9, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And we're all here because we or someone we know loves us and wants us to be with God. I believe we all have a desire in us to be going with God in our life. We want to know we're following God's lead. We want to know that we are where God wants us to be in this life. The act of circumcision for Israel was a physical act to be where God wanted Israel to be. It was an act to reestablish the promise of God over their life and to renew their identity in God. For Israel, it was the establishment of God's faithfulness to his word, given to generations before this generation was even born in chapter 5. And though Israel did the physical act, notice that it was God in verse 9 who took away their reproach. Circumcision identified them as a people owned by God, but also a people that God was going to use. It was a declaration to be a people of a covenant, aligning themselves with the word of God and the promise of God, to which Paul elaborates that we go through the same thing in the book of Ephesians. He writes, remember that you were at that, at, at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Again in Colossians, it says, in Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh. And the body of flesh speaks of our sinful nature. And by, by the circumcision of Christ have been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and this uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven all your trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This is what we do when we hear God commanding over our lives and we act in obedience. We're saying, I am nailing that to the cross. I am leaving that there. I am allowing God to take away from me the power which I can't take away myself. But what God does is he reveals it. 
He reveals in our life things that we shouldn't be doing, things we need to change, whether it's an action, whether it's a way we treat somebody, whether it's a, a habit or an addiction. He reveals this should not be in your life, and he wants to cut it away. He wants to take that approach, reproach away. But for us, we have to be obedient. It means we have to begin taking a physical act on our part to remove it. That may be making different decisions. That may be avoiding certain conversations. That may be just catching yourself from saying certain words or doing certain addictions. In going with God, the first step in following God's lead is always obedience. Just as God cut away Israel's reproach, so God wants to cut away ours. So we can be ready to be where God is leading. The writer of Hebrews writes, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We may be here today, and one thing God wants to do is to reestablish the promise He has over our life. And it begins by us renewing our identity in Christ, which only comes through repentance. The beauty is that God gives Israel a reason for this, as He does for us as well. It is so Israel could celebrate the promise of God, the Passover, and the work that God had, had been doing for them. The Passover for Israel was a time to remember what the Lord had done and to refocus on what the Lord wanted to do. And this is why we come to the Lord's Supper this morning. It's the time to remember what God has done for us through Jesus Christ and to refocus our hearts and minds on what God wants to do through us in this world. Up to this point, the Passover was a call for Israel to, to celebrate and remember two events, Egypt and Mount Sinai. Up to this point in Joshua, the Passover is only mentioned those two times in Scripture so far. It was a reminder for the people to remember that God delivered them out of slavery, and He brought them to Mount Sinai, and then God delivered His Word to them. It was a reminder that the Passover is to refocus their hearts and their minds upon the God who continuously delivers. And here in Joshua, it's given one more layer of meaning. It holds four pivotal calls. It's a call to celebration and command to remember and refocus these things. God's deliverance from slavery, just as for us. God's calling to holiness. God's revelation of His will and God's leading into His promise. And Joshua is to be spiritually prepared for these four things. They had to prepare their minds and hearts through the physical act of circumcision. Going with God requires physical preparations for spiritual outcomes. Are we preparing ourselves physically for where God wants to take us spiritually? Are we being obedient? Are we surrendering? Are we submitting? Are we allowing God to do the good work in us no matter how painful it may be? To let go of our past, to allow God to cut away that past that is entangling us and keeping us from the promise and provision. Ways we can do that is continue to gather and worship Continue to meet with the brothers and sisters in Christ. It's to continue to be in the God's Word. Continue to be serving God through acts of ministry. Continue to be obedient to, to our tithing and to the offerings. And continue to be willing to be engaged with other believers in discipleship. These are all physical preparations we can do to be spiritually prepared for what God wants to do. In doing these things, we allow God to move us from wilderness living or our attachment to this world to promise living. And going with God is living in God's promise so we might enjoy the abundance of God's provisions.
God wants to continue to provide for us. He wants to continue to bless us as his children. But we have to be willing to allow him to mold and shape us more into Christ individuals. So is there something in our life that God has been trying to cut out that we have been resisting? We've not been following where he is leading. question for all of us this morning, including myself, is would we be willing to surrender that to him this morning? Is there something God has revealed and laid upon your heart? Maybe it was when this year started. Maybe you made some sort of resolution to God on what you would be doing in your relationship with him. And that's kind of fallen by the wayside. Would you really need to come before him on your knees and surrender that and, and ask for forgiveness and recommit to that, refocus on that? Maybe it's something God has laid upon your heart to be plugged into a ministry, but you thought, nah, someone else will do it, or, you know, I'm not really trained to do that. But would you really be willing to surrender no matter how painful it may be? It may not even be the most opportune time for you to do it. It wasn't for Israel either. But wherever God is leading, it is ultimately for our good. We have to learn to trust Him. I love how God orchestrates history, though. You catch what they named the place after the reproach was taken away? It's there in verse 9. Gilga. Gilga means to roll. And that word is what God did once again in history through Jesus Christ when He rolled away the stone from the tomb. See, the Bible says that God created you and me for a relationship with Him. And that relationship with Him is meant to be good. It's meant to be joy-filled. It's meant to be, give us peace beyond understanding. But our sin separates us from that relationship. Our disobedience to God separates that. That doesn't mean God doesn't love you and isn't over you, but it means we don't fully get to experience the promises that God has for us. That's what kept Israel for 40 years. And so what would we try to do? Sometimes we just try to do better things. We try to go to church more. We try to get involved more. And those are all good things if that's where God is leading us. But if we're trying to do those things to counter our sin and our disobedience, it doesn't work because we cannot remove our sin. Israel could not remove their sin. It was only something God could do. And so you may be here this morning hoping that you're a good enough person to get into the eternal promise of God, but the reality is you cannot. The Bible says that Jesus is the way and the truth and life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. And so Jesus died for our sins. They placed Him in a tomb. They placed a stone from that tomb. And then what did God do? He rolled the stone. And Jesus came out. So when we place our faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone, we become completely forgiven for our sins and receive eternal life. And that eternal life, here's, I think, where we miss it. Eternal life isn't when I die. You are an eternal being now because the Spirit of God is inside of you. And so we are to be living as eternal beings, a holy life that is pleasing to God and perfect to God. Read Romans chapter 12, 1 through 2 later, and see if this is not what Paul is pointing to after he unfolds the mystery of sin and disobedience. I appeal to you by the mercies of God. This is what God wants for our life. But it calls us to surrender. Maybe you're here and you need to surrender for the first time. You're still in your sin. You're still lost. And God is giving you a gift, just as He was gifting the land to Israel, of salvation through Jesus Christ. 
if that's you, I'm going to be standing down here. I'm going to ask you to just come down and say, Pastor Mike, I want to be forgiven for my sins. I want to be saved. We'll pray together. We'll talk together. We'll celebrate together. But maybe you're here and you've been wrestling with God. And is there something in your life that God has been speaking over you in your heart and has been weighing upon you? Would you be willing to come and lay that at His feet and understand what Jesus said? That my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But now's our time to respond. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. I thank you, Lord, that you don't let us just wander around. Your word says you're the good shepherd. You know us by name. And we know your voice. Father, I believe you have great, mighty things in store for us as individuals, for our families, and for this church. But I also believe there's some things you need to cut away. There's some things that are keeping us from being where we need to be. Father, through your love and your mercy and your grace and your faithfulness to us and your concern for our spiritual welfare, you speak over us in this moment. Discipline as your, as your children that we might respond. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I thank you that there's not a person in here that has it all figured out and has it all together. We all have worries. We all have concerns. We all have struggles in life. Some of us have anger issues. Father, you won't allow us to stay there. So as we come this moment, let us not be hearers of, just hearers of your word, but doers. Let us respond and be obedient and submit and surrender to what you want to remove from us. Lord, continue to prepare our hearts as we get ready to come to the table to remember what you did for us for our salvation. Forgive me if I failed you in any way, and I thank you for this day. Praise on the name of Jesus. Amen. I invite you to stand. If you'd like to know more about accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to come. Maybe you just need to come and kneel before the Father, but let's sing.